0: Yeah, yeah. The window's open. I mean, the way I've kind of always viewed an A is the window's open or the window's closed. And I've gone through that a little bit in in my own career. Talked to a firm in 2007 about being acquired. Another publisher, the window was clearly open, but we kind of hem and hawed, and I guess I I just wasn't quite ready to do that. And boy, howdy, that window closed in 2008, let me tell you. And so right now, folks, the window's open and I would say err towards getting acquired.
1: Welcome to the Ultimate Guide to Partnering. In this podcast, Vince Minzione, a proven industry sales and partner executive, brings together technology leaders to discuss transformational trends and to deconstruct successful strategies to thrive and survive in the rapid age of cloud transformation. And now your host, Vince Minzion. Welcome to or welcome back to the ultimate guide to partnering where technology leaders come to optimize results through successful partnering i'm vince Menzio, your host and my mission is to help leaders like you unlock the leadership principles and learnings of the best in the business to get partnerships right optimize for success and deliver your greatest results one entrepreneur's outlook on tech partnerships and cannabis My guest for this episode of the podcast is no stranger to the world of partnering, small businesses, and emerging opportunities. Harry Brelsford hunts business opportunities and marries business to technology. Harry's an amazing individual, which is why I invited him here at Ultimate Guide to Partnering. He's a serial entrepreneur, college professor, author, and all-around good human being and he has played a vital role in our world of partnering for quite some time. In this episode, we cover partnering, entrepreneurship, the economy, the cannabis industry, as well as thriving during this time. If you're a technology leader, I believe you'll enjoy this discussion with Harry Brelsford. Before we dive into the interview, I'm happy to announce that PartnerTap, has become a founding sponsor of Ultimate Guide to Partnering. I've been friends with the founders of PartnerTap for many years. And PartnerTap is the only partner ecosystem platform designed for the enterprise. Their technology makes it easy to align channel teams with automated account mapping, letting you control what data you share while building a partner revenue engine. I'm so excited to have them on board. Harry! Welcome to the podcast. Uh, All right. Hey, I'm happy to be here. (laughs) I am so excited to finally welcome you as a guest on Ultimate Guide to Partnering. We've been planning this thing for a long time. You are somewhat of an icon and have had a prodigious career in our world of partnering and technology, particularly in the small and SMB space with SMB Nation and your latest endeavors. So I am really excited for this conversation today. Well, Thank you. For those of us, for the few people who don't know Harry, how do you describe yourself? Tell us a little bit about Harry.
0: In the professional sense, I could say it it goes back to uh, junior high and high school. I was a bike courier for a law firm in Anchorage, Alaska. So with the discovery of Prudhoe Bay, long story short, I grew up in Alaska. And this law this back in the day when they had bike couriers. And I was also bike racing. So it was kind of I could train and get paid. And the head of the law firm, it was a bond underwriting firm. So they did the municipal bonds for the Port of Valdez, that kind of thing. So if you can kind of marry technology and business, and, and this is back when they were using Wang word processors and IBM wow. electrics, right, and those huge floppy disks comment was, if you can marry technology and business, you'll you'll do very well. That's essentially what I've done for my career is I'm half business and half technology. It's that, that's good and bad because the geeks don't think I'm geeky enough and the business people don't think I'm business enough. So I kind of sit between them.
1: So that's how you describe yourself. And how did you get started in the world of IT and in particular, the partnering space?
0: What happened is I would work summers on the Trans-Alaska Pipeline and come down with a wallet full of cash back to college, University of Denver. So in 1981, I went over to the uh, one of the chains, the computer store chains. I forget the name, but you remember that's when the computer stores were all chains and franchises.
1: Yeah, Computer World, Computer Land, and all those places, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's Computerland. And I drove over to Computerland and bought an Apple II Plus, one of the early commercial renditions of the Apple II family, black and white monitor. It had a 40-character capability. You had to buy an 80-character extender card. I bought a Hayes modem, a 300-bond modem, a little bit of software. Ooh, fast. Yeah. <laughs> and I was the only kid in college with my own computer. And it was love at first, because Vince, just the way my mind works, I'm not meant to work in at, at a desk at a savings and loan as a lending officer, right? That's, that's just not how my mind works. And the computer is like, wow, I get this. And, and the rest is history.
1: Very cool. Very cool. I had a similar story a few years later with a Tandy computer. So I, I know this story well.
0: Yeah. And then on the partnering space, that's actually a really good question. My reputation was built, I got in very early with Microsoft Small Business Server in 97, a pre-release beta testing and all that. And I lived in Seattle so as a natural act. I didn't really even think about partners or channel partners or MSPs. I was more of a product stack guy. And the team was too. At the time, we were we had some messaging of just add water. The secretary at the law firm or whoever could just buy SBS, install it, just add water, and it magically worked and did the five or six things he needed. Hence, I didn't wake up in the morning thinking about partnering. Well, it turns out it was not the secretary at the law firm that was our client. It was the computer guy that served the law firm and and so that's how I was introduced to the Microsoft partner program and the the idea of a channel partner.
1: It just seems that that was Microsoft really was at the core of that intersection of the PC networking software and having to deliver it to end user customers, right?
0: Yeah. It became very apparent very quickly.
1: I was going through your LinkedIn profile. I was thinking to myself like, Harry, what haven't you done, right? Microsoft vendor, founder of SMB Nation, college professor, serial entrepreneur, and some other exciting things you've been doing now that we're going to talk about. Tell us what's exciting you most today.
0: Yeah, yeah. Today, it would be the time I'm spending as a principal analyst in the cannabis technology field. So by analogy, I'm behaving a lot like what you would see it when I know and a lot of listeners know Jay McBain over at Forrester is a principal analyst in the channel area, channel partner area. And so I'm behaving a lot like him. And so I'm serving private equity VC and investors as well as, but the real clients in here gets a little bit of a surprise. The real clients have been the ISVs that come from traditional adjacent industries such as secure cash management and printing, and they want to break into this sector. And they're the first to admit, we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> so that's where I'm most excited. And then close behind that is coming up on about a year and a half as a board member of Moonshot Equity Partners. So that's a small private equity firm out of Tampa, Florida, that is in the business of rolling up small MSPs. And and that is a natural act again for the SMB nation community. We tend to be the smaller piece. And we've been seeing quite a bit
1: of this. Mergers and acquisitions have been prevalent in our ecosystem, not just across the large across large and across small. What are you seeing there in particular?
0: Yeah, yeah, the window's open. I mean, the way I've kind of always viewed an A is the window's open or the window's closed. And I've gone through that a little bit in in my own career, talked to a firm and 2007 about being acquired. Another publisher, the window was clearly open, but we kind of him and hot. And I guess I I just wasn't quite ready to do that. And boy, how did that window closed in 2008? Let me tell you. And and so right now, folks, the window's open. And I would say err towards getting acquired. If, If there's always that, well, can I get more? can I do I really want to have a boss that kind of thing and having gone through that and as we sit here in 2022 in the Fed you follow the news like I and there's talks of multiple interest rate hikes you you're going to hear a big sucking sound go out of the housing market and everything is related to everything right Vince
1: yeah yeah so I was I was going to ask you that in particular what do you see in the next nine months what do you expect to see
0: well, I think it's the window's still going to be open for the rest of this year because there's sort of lagging indicators, if, if that makes sense. The rates go up, and sure, that's going to affect the home right away. But the typically, l- let me give you an analogy. When to, the fall of 2008 hit with the market crash, SMB Nation and the SMB MSP community actually did pretty well until 2011 or so, and then... By my count, then the recession caught up to us, at least. And so we go in late, right? MSPs tend to go into a recession late and maybe come out late. And I think by analogy, it's going to be a good nine months for M&A, right? Where the rate hikes are coming, the market's going to change, but there is that phenomena. But I wouldn't wait much longer. If that makes sense, Vince, I, maybe I need more coffee.
1: That's exactly right. What was striking about that was that it caught up in 2011 when the rest of the economy was starting to come out. Right? Why did that happen?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. remember, SMB Nation's not an MSP. We're an integrated media and events company focused on the SMB channel partner and MSPs, and so I, I can definitely explain what what was happening to us, but. It was happening to the broader MSP community, right? If they're cutting back, if sponsors and advertisers are cutting back on funding media campaigns, there's a reason for that, right? That somehow that underlying MSP community's not, they're certainly not overperforming. I'll leave it at that.
1: So you've been around this world of partnering for quite some time. What do you see from the best? Like, what do you believe makes a great partnership? Well, that's a really good question because I now
0: consult to a a couple of different clients in a couple of different realms. And I had a conversation with client A the other day, a guy who had a career as a buyer in technology at the enterprise level. And I'm trying to help facilitate a partnership agreement with a, call it client B. And he kind of came in, he's an old school buyer that wants to wring out every darn cent from party B. And Vince, that's that's just not how I weigh the overused phrase "win-win" or a relationship imbalance. I forget the Japanese term. I used to have it as my tagline on Facebook. A relationship has to be in balance because if you kind of go into it like the gentleman I'm mentioning, it it, it just doesn't work. <laughs> I don't know how to put it.
1: Yeah, I win, you lose.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly, and so. That's what I would tell you is take fun seriously and keep the relationship in balance. That would be my thing about what makes a good partnership.
1: And then when the partnerships fail, like what have you seen from organizations that didn't get it right? Was it the antithesis of this, which is like when you lose or what did you see there?
0: Yeah, there's some of that. I've been in a couple. I'm an entrepreneur, right? So easy come, easy go. Not everything works out. And with one in particular, there were some personality issues. But quite frankly, what we were selling to the market, this is back in the 2011-12 stage, because I was trying to innovate my way out of the recession. The market wasn't buying what we were selling. So that's probably number one as to why a partnership can fail. And that's not necessarily bad, but there is a certain level of tension and anxiety when uh, you go to market with something, the market's not buying it, the partnership doesn't have a reason for it. you think it could be all hugs and... And so on. But Vince, it's there's, yeah, there's typically an underlying layer of tension, if that makes sense, in that one.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. Now, with SMB Nation, you've been around the Microsoft ecosystem for quite some time. And yeah. What about organizations that aren't successful working with vendors like Microsoft? What do you believe holds them back from successfully partnering?
0: I would say selling themselves short and For right or wrong, not to pat myself on the back, but both my parents come from the Austin, Texas area, so I have Texas DNA. And so what I'm about to say does annoy uh, some people back in Seattle that's sort of more of a Scandinavian shy Nordstrom, for example. (laughs) And and then here I move to Seattle from Texas. I think big, I'm a little bit braggadocious. That's the part that annoys them. As an aside, Vince, that's why my recent move back home to or back to Austin, Texas, I slot very well here, right? I just slot right back in. And it's not for everybody. But to answer your question, I think that's the the answer is you got to think big, (laughs) man. And Microsoft told me that they like that. Again, I'll give you one more example. I went through the response point era, the phone system for SMB that was developed in Microsoft research, kind of supported that. And I'm running around that, I forget the building number, but I'm running around saying, man, we want to put a phone on every desktop in the world. And well, I was being a little braggadocious. There was a little bit of truth to that, Vince, because I was going to India a lot to tell the small business server story and other stories. And in India, you have people abject poverty, but they, they don't have phones. I mean, they would wait. And at this time, they would wait in line for the single phone in a little village, and they'd make their call. And I'm like, that's what response point can cure right? If we can just do that, wouldn't the world be a better place if everybody could talk to each other?
1: <laughs> so think big, right? Dream big, think big, be bold.
0: Yeah. And and now I would say fail fast, that aforementioned startup in the 11-12 phase. We probably saw the warning signs about 90 to 180 days in, and I think we carried that thing at least 24 months, maybe Maybe 30 months. And so, Vince, if I had it to do over again on that, I would have failed much, much faster.
1: Fail fast is good. Yeah. So, like I said, a great career. What would you tell your 29 year old self now if you could? That's a good question.
0: And I would say a couple things. One is let's go back to when I was 29. So, a couple years prior, I had just moved back or moved to Seattle, excuse me finished grad school, moved to Seattle. And when I got out of grad school events, the next year I started as an adjunct professor at night, at that time for some for-profit colleges teaching computers. And that was a nice sort of, now it's called a side hustle. (laughs) Now I had my main computer consulting things by the day. I was already on my own. And at 29, so I kind of knew, if you will, I was front-loading funds. So between twenty seven, twenty eight, twenty nine, 28, 29, and some of the students were my same age. And when you're on your own, you control your clock, right? So here I am in the Seattle Sailing Club, just a little thing of small boats. It's not a yacht club by any stretch. I could take friends sailing at two in the afternoon on a Tuesday and other people my age wage slaves at Wells Fargo, right? They they were building their career. And so I kind of knew I was going to front load fun, just live large while I was young. And then I I always had the confidence that I would catch up, right? It's like, I'll catch up to the Gilberts sitting in cubicles at, at Wells Fargo. I'm not too worried about them. I'll catch them on the flip side. And- to some extent, I have. So I felt really good about that part of my career. And so then I had to get serious. And now I like work, right? I, I don't want to stop working. I now, some of those people are now retiring, especially if they were like state of Alaska employees vested. And now, so they're, I have these friends. They're the winner in Costa Rica or whatever they want to do. But Vince, I want to work. Now, to answer your question more specifically, I probably would have diversified my portfolio more. And I've just started to do that. I was never a big stock. I had some real estate and had my startup. But if I had it to do over again, I've just recently in the dip started buying cannabis or index stocks. And there's some reasons for that. The Safe Banking Act passing the House headed to the Senate, hopefully. But that's what I would have done. Just since every month put $500 into an index fund, forget about it and look at it once a year. So that I wish I had done. I had a little bit more diversity in my financial portfolio. It's
1: funny that you picked that. I I find that what you mentioned earlier about front-loading fun, most people answer this question with, I I wish I had enjoyed myself more during that period of time, right? (laughs) Or as opposed to like, you did it right early. You were doing it right early. Yeah, I, I had fun. So I love what you had to say about work. And there are some people at a certain age that say maybe they're burnt out and they decide they're going to retire and spend their time on a golf course or on a boat or in Costa Rica. What's going to keep Harry going for the next twenty years? Like, I don't anticipate you're going to retire anytime soon. How do you keep up the stamina that you have? Like, what are you doing? Taking vitamins? Or
0: well, the stamina. You know, I was just having this conversation the other day, and and trust me, I can always do better in my diet and workouts. I do have my challenges, but. I have been working out almost every day since I got a coach. I was pretty out of shape, call it 2000. And I paid this, you pay these guys like $250 a month and they go out and ride with you on a bike and they have a schedule, that kind of thing. So Help that guy out. He helped me. I helped him in 2000. So I've been pretty consistent a daily bike ride or the, the daily swim or at least the morning walk. And I see it, Vince. I mean, I'd I go back to Alaska and visit some friends that are lethargic. Dude, they're tired. I mean, they're they're taking naps. (laughs) I'm like, like, Tom, Tom, dude, you're kind of old for your age.
1: (laughs) No, activity is just so, so important. Yeah.
0: So that's the stamina. And then the other thing would be, yeah, I'll always be a startup guy. I mean, that was one of the things I think in 07, when we're approached to be acquired, and I was a lot younger, I, I learned some lessons, I learned a few things. But the idea that if I got acquired, I was kind of fearful, Vince, about, well, what do I do now? I mean, I'm relatively, like, God, this, it wasn't enough money to retire on, that kind of thing. You know what I mean, so I, I had to build up my confidence. There's always going to be startup opportunities. So that's where I'm headed.
1: I'm excited for your future. And we have a lot of listeners. I'm an entrepreneur myself. I went from corporate America. I always thought like an entrepreneur, though. I always felt like I had it in my DNA. My grandfather was an entrepreneur. What advice would you have for entrepreneurs, like just getting started if they wanted, they just decided to, we're talking about this great resignation that's been going on. A lot of people are, they're turning their side hustle into a full-time hustle into an entrepreneurship. And they look at what I'm doing, in fact, and go, wow, that's great. I'd love to do what you're doing. What advice would you have for those who are maybe thinking about their next career and becoming an entrepreneur? What would be the advice you'd have for them?
0: Yeah, great question. So the the last book I I wrote an, under my name, I do some ghostwriting for executives, but during the recession I wrote the book on The Pocket MBA. So I actually have that trademark in that website pocket.mba. It's a vanity site, vanity URL, and the idea was instant entrepreneur, right? So a lot of people the great resignation and or lost their jobs at the beginning of the recession. I'm sitting around with a little more time on my hands probably than I I realized. So I just started typing. And the book is predicated on finder, minder, grinder. So you got to find the business, you got to manage the business, and you got to do the work. And I tried to back out the technology use cases, right? I tried to make it a book you might see at the airport and buy it to read on a very long flight or a couple flights. (laughs) And what I recommend there was to, again, kind of think outside the box. So I'll give you an example. A lady It's a use case in my book. A lady who had a food truck in San Antonio, Texas, made a lot of her money. They have a big festival in the spring called Fiesta, right? And that's where she kind of made the bulk of her money for the year. And Fiesta, of course, got canceled in the pandemic. I mean, Fiesta events is like over 10 days, several hundred thousand people trotting around and I'm sure Florida has those things too, right? Everybody's got those. Up here, at South by Southwest in Austin. And so I talked to her and I said, you might look at the federal school lunch program. What if you could turn your food truck and go park in the cul-de-sac in a neighborhood and all the kids run out of it because they're homeschooled at this point? And you could get federal funding and turn your food truck into a, a cafeteria, basically. I actually need to check in with her. I mean, now she's probably back to regular business, but you get the idea. I, I need to see if she did that. But it's got to be, you're, you're going to have to, to answer your question, you're going to have to innovate your way out of this one. So you're going to have to a really creative idea. I always recommend to get through that first, let's say that you really like wood carving and, and you want to carve bowls. And I actually have that friend in New Canaan, Connecticut, but you got to make a living. And so if you're a professional with a distinct skill set like project management, you can go up on these white collar labor markets like Catalan and E and pick up side just to carry you through or heck at worst drive Uber while you're getting your startup going.
1: <laughs> great advice, Eric. We're going to provide links to the Pocket MBA. It's it's pocket.mba. That's the website. It is. And we're going to provide links in our show notes for our listeners. I think it's some, some great advice for those who are starting out. So we're going to shift gears and we're going to have a little fun It's a question I love to ask our guests. So you're hosting a dinner party and you can invite any three guests from the present or the past to this amazing dinner party. And hopefully we're able to do that. We're we're done with where we've been these last two years with the lockdown. Who would you invite to this amazing dinner party and why?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Oh. Kind of coming from your world. Uh, and I'm not going to say Bill Gates. That would, <laughs> That's probably an overused dinner party. And I met him a couple of times, obviously never really got to know him, like shook his hand. But Paul Allen. Paul Allen always struck me as real interesting. And I would have liked to have double clicked into the mind of Paul Allen. And you and I were in his orbit, right? And a couple of things about Paul Allen would be I'd like to find out a little bit more about owning the Seattle Seahawks. I went to the party. At Union Station next to the kingdom when he bought the Seattle Seahawks. I think it was from Ken Baring out of Southern California. And I would have liked to have talked about that, right? you might expect I'd sit there and talk about Microsoft the whole time. I already know that story. The other thing I would have talked about is the the cancer battle that it was a real eye opener from events that, you know, here was a guy worth $20 billion and, and died from what was it, non Hodgkin's lymphoma. And it's like, it really was an eye-opener that he had all the money in the world and still died from cancer. I mean, what's that tell you about cancer, right? That, I mean, he could build an oncology ward, and for all I know he did, out at his house on Mercer Island. So there'd be that. Then the other one would be uh, Barack, just a cool dude. And, and part of that would be, with these three people at the table, I think there'd be good interaction, right? But I'd just like to chill
1: with Obama. Man. Any special questions for Barack? What would you say to Barry? Well, ugly. how and, – and I could learn from him. He was a cool
0: cucumber in negotiations, so you know, foreign negotiations didn't control the Senate and the House. So I, I would ask for advice on how to, for lack of a better word, get along better with people. I mean, that that guy got some stuff done. And again, regardless of what where you're at on the political spectrum, he got some things done, like the healthcare thing. And so I'd like to talk about that, right? Like, man, how do you do that? <laughs> And not get mad.
1: <laughs> and also, how do you step into being the first president, African American president in the United States and deal with that? I mean, that we have to remember that portion of it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Then the, finally, would be my dad. We lost him twenty years ago. Boy, he he was a go Texas oil lawyer go getter. He he wrote it hard and just just a cool dude. He he'd be a good third. Person at the uh, at the table. I guess I'd ask him. I'm not sure what I would ask him. It'd, it'd be interesting to ask. What's it like on the other side, man? What's <laughs> What's it like on the other side? What should I be doing now?
1: Wouldn't we all want to know? So it sounds like a great party, Harry. Maybe maybe I'll stop by for a beverage. What are you serving, by the way, for beverages? I I, I like a little white wine, maybe, with my dinner.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm kind of a vodka cranberry guy.
1: Okay. All right. There's some cool vodka in Texas. We can get some of that local vodka you guys have.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right here. And I live in a community called Tripping Springs and there's the Eddie Distillery and, and then there's Tripping Springs Vodka. The nickname of Tripping
1: Springs is Drunken Springs. Drunken Springs. I've had Eddie Vodka. I love some of their flavored vodkas. They've got some really very cool vodkas.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's right here. The distillery.
1: <laughs> oh, that is very cool. Well, Harry, you have been an amazing, it's great to finally have you here on Ultimate Guide Department. And for our listeners, and these are all people in the technology sector, leaders in the technology sector, organizations looking to better partner. Do you have any final recommendations for these listeners on how to achieve their greatest results this year? Sort of a balance, so
0: a work-life balance, I guess is where I I sit today. And here's what I mean, is I've gotten older like, I used to drink a lot of coffee, right? And now I'm down to one cup a day. Coffee kind of makes me jittery. And the point is, I, I, I literally do do a morning walk to kind of engage in popular phrase called just kind of get centered in, and get prepared for the day. And I have a loop out here, a mile and a half loop in the hill country, put on my headphones, chill to some music. And, and that would Probably not the advice you expect me to give, but it would be that work-life balance of focus and mindfulness is increasingly important because, I mean, studies have shown, Vince, that people carried a fair amount of anxiety through the pandemic, right? You're, you're not imagining it. <laughs> so that that's probably the best recommendation I have.
1: <laughs> I love it. And is there anything special you do as part of this mindfulness? Put on the headphones. You have a Is there a certain set of music that you listen to? Is there a set of exercises or breathing or thinking that you do during your mindfulness routine?
0: Yeah, yeah. I uh, So what I do is I've kind of got it down to three of the public radios stations that are music. There's the ones that have NPR and all that. And I don't really want to walk around listening to news. So KUTX and Austin has the Austin sound. K-E-X-P in Seattle that was originally funded by Paul Allen kind of has the Seattle sound. And then there's one out of Martha's Vineyard Martha M V Y Radio. So I kind of go with a show. It's not pop. It's not rap. It's I'm trying to say those public radio stations. They play a different kind of music. <laughs> Something that's going to keep your mind at ease
1: as you're as you're doing your walk.
0: Yeah, exactly. So that's my. Favorite.
1: We're not going to call it elevator music, but I know it's exactly what you're saying.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure you have it down in Florida. No, no doubt. It's a certain genre, public radio music. <laughs>
1: That's great advice for our listeners, Harry. I want to thank you again for being an amazing guest. Thank you for your patience in coming on to Ultimate Guide to Partnering. And great to have you here today.
0: Yeah, yeah, stay in touch. Come on out to Austin.
1: As with each of my episodes, I appreciate your support. Please subscribe on your favorite platform, like, comment, tell your friends about Ultimate Guide to Partnering and where they can find us. And I'd love your feedback. Please like the podcast and provide comments or reach out to me at Vince Menzion on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also like and follow Ultimate Guide to Partnering on our Facebook page or drop me a line at vincem at ultimate-partnerships.com. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by PartnerTap, the partner ecosystem platform most trusted by enterprise. Drive more revenue with your partners and learn more at partnertap.com.